Hello, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. And we hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. And if you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Each time that our life group meets, um, and all of our life groups do this, we take time uh, as part of our time together to receive prayer requests. And we take time to pray with and for one another. Uh, and, and I'd be willing to bet that something similar to that, this receiving of prayer requests, the opportunity to share praises, uh, has been a part of almost any Christian group that you have been a part of. Uh, which is to say that uh, sort of the collective wisdom of the church throughout the ages is that essential to this faith journey is this sense of praying together and praying for one another. And I think that uh, praying for someone is really a sign of, of care and a sign of love. Uh, it certainly is a comfort to know when someone is praying for you, isn't it? Uh, it's comforting to know that someone is uh, willing to go before God and speak about your needs. That's a comfort for us. Uh, this is probably why uh, praying for someone has this kind of widespread uh, acceptance and response in light of challenges or in light of tragedies, uh, regardless even of a person's religious convictions, that in the kind of cultural consciousness in the light of tragedy is, let's pray for them, let's pray for one another, let's pray for this situation. And it makes us feel good to know that someone is bringing our needs before God. Uh, but you know, as Christians, it isn't just that we pray because we feel like it makes us feel better or it is an encouragement to the person we're praying for. But as Christians, we believe that prayer is, is making a difference. It's moving the needle. It's bringing a greater expression of God's kingdom into that situation. Uh, that there is this, this active nature to prayer, that it's doing something. And that's why I think our passage this morning is so powerful. In this passage that we'll look at this morning out of John chapter 17, we have a record of when Jesus prays for the disciples. And I think that we can take this as, yes, Jesus is praying in for those particular disciples there and then in that particular time of history, but I think it's also for us to kind of receive this prayer as Jesus were praying for us, that we are his disciples now. So John chapter 17, beginning with verse 6, uh, you can follow along with me, it'll be on the screens, or you can... Um, Follow along in your own scriptures or, or a phone or whatever is most handy. But uh, John chapter 17, beginning with verse 9, says this. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given to me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. But now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. So, Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. Now during my time here, I protected them by the power of the name that you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed for destruction as the scriptures had foretold. 
But now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world, so they would be filled with my joy. And I have given them your word. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. And just as you sent me into this world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, Jesus' prayer is motivated by a particular fact, and that is that he is going to be going away. Uh, Now, by this point in the gospel... Jesus has gathered the disciples together, called them unto himself. He's led them, he has cared for them, and he has been a shepherd in teaching them the ways of Christ, the ways of the kingdom of God. But now he's going away. He's getting ready for his ascension into heaven. And just as any loving shepherd or parent would, in light of their going away, he prays for their protection. Uh, Now, let's do a quick aside here. Uh, This past week, we celebrated Ascension Day. This is Ascension Sunday, which means next Sunday is Pentecost, and boy, have we got a party planned for you, okay? Do not miss next Sunday, uh, including the Pentecost picnic after church. Uh, But today is Ascension Sunday, the seventh Sunday in Easter, and the Ascension of Christ is not so much about Jesus kind of disappearing into the clouds and, and leaving earth. It's really about Jesus taking his place on the throne as ruler over all the nations, as ruler over all of creation. So ascension isn't just this weird thing about Jesus floating away. Ascension is about Jesus being enthroned as king over all of creation. Are you with me? And so Jesus is about to say, I'm going to be ascended. I'm taking my rightful place as ruler over all of creation. But that means that I'm going to be with you in a different kind of way. So it isn't that I'm leaving, it's just now I'm going to be with you in a different kind of way. And so he prays for the protection of his disciples. Now we love to pray for protection for one another, don't we? And that's a good thing. We love to pray for protection and that's good and that's right. But each time that we pray for protection, we are aware that there's some kind of risk. Isn't this true? And so uh, we might, there's a risk of an accident while traveling. And so if someone is going to be traveling long distances, isn't it good and right and true that we pray for protection as they travel? There also might be risk of physical harm during recreation or potentially unsafe environments. And so as people are going to do those activities or we know that they're going to be in those places, we pray for protection against physical harm while they're doing that. And so Jesus prays for protection for his disciples, but the question is, protection from what? What risk are the disciples facing that is motivating Jesus to pray for protection? And we get a hint as the, to the answer in verses 14 and 15, which I'll read it again. It says, The world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. 
So Jesus' prayer is that we as disciples and also the disciples that are located in this particular time in history would be protected against the evil one, but there seems to be this connection between the evil one and the world, right? Again, look at verse 15. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm just asking that you'll protect them from the evil one. And so while the link between the world and the evil one may not be quite explicit, it is certainly implied, right? This connection between that which is evil and the world. In fact, look at how Jesus talks about the world just in this prayer. He says, the world has hated them just as the world has hated me. Jesus says of his disciples, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And so the world is this something that has hated the people of faith. This is, the world is something that we are not uh, of, right? And so this is really interesting particularly when you consider this passage in light of the most famous passage in John, which is John chapter 3, verse 16. You might know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Isn't that interesting? In fact, I just thought, surely this is, uh, this is a different word uh, in Greek, and so that... that uh, the English translations have messed all up, so I looked it up, same Greek word. Greek word cosmos. For God so loved the cosmos, but then you are not of the cosmos. Same exact word. Huh. And so here's what I think. I think that John is taking the same word, but just using it in different ways, Right? It isn't that in John chapter 3, God loves the world, but by John chapter 17, God has had enough and he hates the world, or says the world hates us, right? It isn't that God has changed, but rather the gospel writer is using the same word, but in different ways, which, by the way, we do all the time. We do this all the time. Here's a really simple and stupid example. (laughs) This is a silly example, right? I could say... She lit the candle. I could also say, she lit that party up. (laughs) I told you, I warned you ahead of time, this was a bad example, right? (laughs) Now, of course, in the first instance, what I mean is she literally lit fire to the wick of the candle. In the second instance, lit means something far less tangible, but just as real. Right? It's just as real that she has a dynamic personality that brings excitement and energy to a gathering of friends. She lit that thing up. She lights up a room. It's the same word. Now, I'd be willing to bet that you could come up with other examples that are probably far better. Uh, but, but the point is, is that using the same word but in different ways is something that we do all the time. And this is precisely what John does in his gospel. He says in his most famous passage, God so loved the world. And what he means there is that God loves the physical creation and its inhabitants, so much so that he would come, he would send his son. And if you know John 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, right? But that the world might be saved. 
And so there's very clearly this, this sense in which God loves the created cosmos and its inhabitants. But then when Jesus says then that the disciples are not of the world, he simply means this, that the disciples are not driven by forces that are opposed to God. In John chapter 17, the word world is used to represent an evil that works against the purposes of God. And so world becomes this shorthand way of talking about being captured by an influence or a power that is opposed to God. And what this practically, what this means practically speaking is that it's living in ways that are destructive to ourselves and to others. And so love for the world or the world hated us is not a way of saying, and Christians, I want you to hear me say this, is not a way of saying that the world is bad, okay? Sometimes the way in which we operate in our faith is we have sort of this threat posture toward the world, that the, that the world is all bad. If it doesn't have the label of Christian, it doesn't have anything to teach me <laughs> or show me or God can't be present in it, right? And I would say this kind of posture toward the world is not good because it's very clear from the scriptures that God loves the world. He loves a created order and the inhabitants. But there is this kind of double meaning of the word that if there are forces opposed to God, world becomes a shorthand way of talking about that, and it becomes made manifest in our lives through ways of living that are destructive to ourselves and to others. And the role and responsibility of the Christian is to enter into discernment to know the difference. Are you with me? Okay? The role and responsibility of the Christian is to have enough discernment to say, uh, what is, is this an, a force, is this an influence that is opposed to the purposes of God, um, or is this goodness and beauty in the world, right? Okay, so this idea of the world, sometimes it can happen through very tangible actions that are in fact destructive, uh, like the example of the prodigal son, who went and squandered everything on wild living, and it was, he was destructive to himself, it was destructive to others, all that kind of thing. But sometimes this kind of evil, this, this attitude of the world, being of the world, can sometimes be a lot more tricky and be a lot more subtle. And here's one of the ways, and I, it would be impossible for me to cover uh, even a small fraction of all the ways that evil can be subtle in our lives. So let me just hone in on one this morning. One of the ways that evil can be really subtle in our lives is when we want the end to justify the means. Is when we want the end to justify the means. This is a good end, but how we get there then doesn't matter in service to the end. And what I want to help demonstrate is that the scripture identifies this as evil. Are you with me? Okay. So just after announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God, Jesus goes out into the wilderness for 40 days. This is what we emulate. This is what we recognize through the season of Lent that we enter into a season of wilderness kind of modeled after Jesus' series or, or days in the wilderness, and there Jesus is tempted. And he faces three temptations. 
Number one is to churn stones into bread when he's hungry. He's been fasting for 40 days, and the enemy comes up, the evil one shows, and he says, hey, if you're hungry, since you're the son of God, you could just churn these stones into bread. So that's the first temptation. The second temptation is to worship the evil one in exchange for authority. The evil one says, if you bow down to me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth, right? And there's some, obviously the real ironic part of that is, is it really the evil ones to give, right? Is the evil one really in a position to give that, okay? But Essentially, the temptation is to bow down to the evil one in exchange for authority. The third temptation is to reveal the lordship through a self-serving miracle. That is, jumping off a cliff only to be saved, right? So the third temptation is, Jesus, reveal who you really are, the Son of God, through a a miracle that won't serve others but will serve yourself. Those are the three temptations. Are you with me so far? Here we are, to turn stones into bread when he's hungry, to worship the evil one in exchange for authority, to reveal his lordship through a self-serving miracle. In each instance, the evil one tries to bring Jesus to a good and desirable end, being full and having hunger met, having authority, revealing lordship. These are good and desirable ends. In each temptation, the evil one tempts Jesus to get to a good and desirable end through illegitimate means. Right? This is, this is good. If you'll stay with me, I promise it's good, right? So the temptation, in other words, is not to get those things Uh, For those things belong to Jesus, who is the bread of the world, who has authority in heaven and earth, and is Lord over all of creation. So the temptation is not to get those things. Those things already belong to Christ. The temptation is to get them in illegitimate ways, to justify the means because of the end. Are you with me? And so in the kingdom of God, this is the big lesson, in the kingdom of God, the means are the end. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Right? And so in the kingdom, this is the big lesson. In the kingdom of God, you can't say, oh, to this end and then just justify a whole bunch of evil on the way. In the kingdom of God, it's the road that you walk to get there matters. This is the big lesson. This is why, church, the Prince of Peace rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, disarmed Peter, who tried to defend him through violence, and told us to pray for our enemies. This is why, church, the God of grace ate with sinners, talked with the Samaritan woman, and offered salvation to the tax collector. This is why the God of forgiveness said to Peter, who had denied him three times, on this rock, I will build my church. 
In each instance, Jesus is saying the end is about grace, forgiveness, and peace. And despite all the temptations to maybe get to those ends through another way, there is no other way. I've got to walk those ways. I've got to walk in the ways of grace to get to grace. I've got to walk in the ways of forgiveness to get to forgiveness. I've got to walk the way of peace to get to peace. And so Jesus quite literally becomes this walking, enfleshed example of the big kingdom of God lesson, which is the ends are the means. And so one of the, evil, one of the ways that the evil one or the world or the mindset of the world sneaks into our life as Christians is we make compromises on the means because it might just, we feel like it might justify the ends. And so, the, the message for us today is resist that temptation. Be protected against that temptation. And so, in fact, you might look at the, the, the life, the example, the message of Jesus, and we can say, truly, Jesus is not of this world. Truly, Jesus is operating on a different set of rules, <laughs> He is being motivated, he is being driven uh, from a whole different kind of engine because the way of the world is always the means justify the end, but Jesus rejects that each time. And so Jesus' prayer then for the disciples is that the Father would help protect them from being sucked back into the ways of the world once Jesus is not with them in the same way that he had been up to that point protect them from the risk of being co-opted into the ways of the evil one, the ways of the evil one. And think about this, the disciples had been with Jesus, learning about this new alternative way of living, and, and Jesus kind of adopting the language of his day, be, developed a shorthand way of talking about this new way of being human, and that shorthand way of talking about that was the kingdom of God. And so he says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added to you as well. And so this kingdom of God is this shorthand way of this new way of being human. And it, it essentially, what he's calling the disciples to is this allegiance to a kingdom that is inaugurated by way of forgiveness, a kingdom that is defined by love, particularly love for those who are different from me, a kingdom that isn't defended from enemies, but all who will come uh, by faith, right? It's this totally different, totally new kind of kingdom. And so central to the teaching of Jesus is that we will learn to both see this kingdom and then embrace this kingdom and learn to live according to this kingdom. And Jesus' message is if you will capture this, it will change everything about the ways in which we live. And so when we as the people of God commit to living according to this new kingdom, uh, this is a little bit edgy but I'm just confident that if Jesus were uh, walking with us in the ways that he did back then, with us today, he wouldn't use the word kingdom, at least not in the U.S. We say kingdom, and we don't really know what that means. So how about, let's try this on, just, just try it on for size, the government of God. Right? There's this kind of new kind of government. 
And, he, and what Jesus essentially is all about is that when we commit to aligning our ways with this new kingdom of God, this new government of God, we are also at the same time invited into a new kind of community. There's this real sense in which Jesus says, this is so radical, there's no way you can do it on your own. You're gonna need other people to come alongside of you, to help sharpen you, to help encourage you, to help guide you, that you can help guide them. This kind of mutual mutuality, this sharing life together. And so you're called into this community, a group of people dedicated to living out this radical way of love whose allegiance belongs to the Savior who is Lord over all of creation. And that that becomes part of the protection mechanism. That part of the, the way in which we are protected from being like just adopting mindsets of, mindsets of the world is that we are called into a community so that when we face temptations, just as Jesus did, we've got people around us to help encourage us and keep us on the path of the way of Christ. So that when the world says, Wealth and possessions are how we determine who's valuable and important. The community and the kingdom of God can come alongside of us and say, everybody is made in the image of God and a person of unsurpassable worth. That when the world says clearly drawn lines are how we decide who's in and who's out, who's us and who is them, the kingdom of God, the community of God can come alongside of us and say all divisions cease in Christ Jesus for there is neither black or white, slave or free, male or female, rich or poor, for all are one in Christ Jesus. When the world tempts us to believe that strength is the ability to bring subjects to submission. The kingdom of God, the community of Christ will come alongside of us and say real strength, authentic strength is found in self-sacrificial love. The Apostle Paul says it actually this way, because this feels backwards, right? The, the, the prayer is that we would be protected against adopting the mindsets of the world. And the Apostle Paul knew this, and he knew this in particular as it relates to the cross of Christ. That the cross does not make any sense because messiahs don't die. And yet, Paul says, Christ on the cross is the very crowning of his kingship. This is actually where Jesus becomes king, is on the cross. And he'll say it in shorthand in this way. The wisdom of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing, but for those who are being saved, it is the very wisdom of God. Wow. Do you begin to see it? To be in the world but not of the world, is what it means to be prophetic. To have our lives separate from. Not that we would, but see there's this, this tension in that we kind of still operate in the world. We're in the world. We operate according to its laws and we operate according inside of its culture, but, we, but the, the call and the invitation of Jesus is that our mindsets, our motivations, our drivenness would not be according to all of these messages, but would be according to our allegiance to Christ and the kingdom of God. 
And so it means to be driven and motivated primarily by the kingdom of Christ. And to demonstrate that truth, I want to read the lyrics to a secular song. Watch out. (laughs) On my way to church this morning, early this morning, I listened to a song that I've heard a hundred times, but it hit me differently. And I began to like actually hear it. You know what I mean? Like you've heard a song, but you've not actually ever heard it. Um, I heard this song for the first time. And uh, it's by an artist named Ben Rector. And my kids, I can see their eyes rolling from here. Like, cause I am just infatuated with Ben Rector and I'm all the time pulling life lessons out of these like beautiful collection of songs. So uh, I don't, I rarely make recommendations from the stage, but I recommend Ben Rector to you. Uh, if you can wade your way through some love songs, just kind of sappy love songs, you will find a treasure trove of truth. Uh, so here's one of them. Ben Rector wrote a song called More Like Love. And I feel like it captures this idea of being in the world, but not of the world pretty well. Here here are the lyrics, and they'll be up on the screen as well. I used to think I wanted to be famous. I'd be recognized out in a crowd. But the funny thing is, every time I've gotten what I want, it lets me down. Just let that sit. That that first verse, what is the value of the world? I want to be famous, recognized, marked as most important. That's a mindset of the world. But he says, he's, he's recognizing and he's saying in this song that every time I got that, I realized it was empty and it let me down. He goes on, this is the chorus. But now I just want to look more like love. I just want to look more like love. This whole world is spinning crazy, and I can't quite keep up. This was written several years ago before the world really was spinning crazy, okay? And I can't quite keep up. So one thing around here that we don't have quite enough of. So I just want to look a little more like love. Come on, somebody. This song preaches. Here, it's like it's not even done, okay? I should, have just, I should have just like read this song for the sermon and then like gotten down. But here it is. I'll, I'll keep going. I used to think I needed all the answers. I used to need to know that I was right. I used to be afraid of things I couldn't cover up in black and white. but now I just want to look more like love. I just want to look more like love. This whole world is spinning crazy, and I can't quite keep up. So one thing around here that we don't have quite enough of, so I just want to look a little more like love. Third verse. I find the farther that I climb, there's always another line of mountaintops. It's never going to stop. And the more of anything I do. The thing that always ends up true is getting what I want will never be enough. And then it ends with the chorus. So I want to look more like love. This whole world is spinning crazy. I can't quite keep up. So one thing around here we don't have quite enough of, I just want to look more like love. What I see in this song, and I I have no idea about Ben Rector's faith journey. I have some suspicions, 
but I don't know. And does it matter? Because what he identifies in each of the three verses is a value of the world that he has found to be empty. And the refrain is, I want to look more like love. Which sounds a lot like what we as Christians can say. Is it not? I encourage you to listen. It's a beautiful melody and song. My message this morning, church, is that the kingdom of God is fundamentally different and distinct from the kingdom of the world. And the prayer of Jesus is that his disciples and all who will believe in the message of Jesus will be protected from walking in the ways of the world and will instead be motivated toward the ways of Christ and the kingdom of God. And as tempted as I might be to tell you it looks like this and it looks like that and it looks like that, I have dared not to take away from you the privilege and beauty of discernment. And so I, I, I speak this word not as a final word, but as a first word. As a first word, church, capital C Church, Emmaus Road, Jesus prays for his disciples and says, protect them from the ways of the world and the evil one and the ways of evil. So may we be committed to walking in the ways of Christ and the kingdom of God and also committed to the hard work of discerning all the ways that plays out in our lives personally and in our lives together as a corporate body. Amen? Amen. Let me say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your grace to us. We're thankful for the gift of music and artists that write and speak truth. And so, Lord, um, meet us in these moments as we go about just the first work of discernment as we gather around the Lord's table. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be freely at work among us to speak to us, to challenge us, to encourage us, and where necessary to convict us. Maybe there's a mindset, a habit, an action, uh, something that needs to be added, something that needs to be taken away so that, our, that we might more fully live into walking in the ways of Christ. Lord, reveal to us any mindsets that have been co-opted by uh, a mindset of the world, of influence opposed to God. And Lord, even as we do this work of discernment, would you remind us that our posture and position toward the world is not to be one of defense or suspicion, for you have created all that is and you have called it very good. And yes, there are broken pieces that you are, that you are working to restore. But God, help us to see that there is truly incredible beauty in this world and in this life. So Lord, meet us here at the table, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.